0: Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, we have the beautiful continuation of a wonderful theme. If you remember, you hear me mention how chapter nine bleeds into chapter 10, which bleeds into chapter 11. And really, if you think of these particular passages in Romans as instead of nine through 11 being the theme, you can expand it even further and say eight through 11, or you can expand it even further and say seven through 11. Uh, I don't know where you're listening to, listening from, but in the United States where I teach from, uh, we have a little store by the name of 7-11. And that's how I like to uh, remember it myself. When somebody mes- mentions a, a certain doctrinal belief system and it emanates from either chapter eight or chapter nine, a lot of uh, Reformed theory, folks, uh, if you're Reformed theory, you're listening, you know, I love you. I don't want to go against the grain. I don't want to rub you the wrong way. Uh, but there are certain things, as we, we studied last week in chapter 9, how the Bible, when you look at the entirety of the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, something emerges that paints a beautiful, beautiful picture about the love of our Lord. And not just the love of our Lord, but his long-suffering, his nature of being a long-suffering father, not willing that any should perish. And so, you know, I don't say these things to to hurt anybody's feelings, but we have to allow truth to be the truth. And just think of a convenience store by the name of 7-Eleven. You know, when somebody mentions, oh yeah, Romans 9 says this, you know, okay, Romans 9, 7-Eleven, that's my window. You know, and then you can even uh, sharpen it to where it's 8 through 9 or, or uh, uh, 8 through 11. You can sharpen it further and say 9 through 11. But that's about as sharp as it gets, Nine through ch- chapter 9 through chapter 11. And here we are in chapter 10, chapter 10. And it's so beautiful. Remember these themes, 7 through 11, 8 through 11, 9 through 11. It's very important to understand these themes because it's a continuation. 8 bleeds into 9, 9 bleeds into 10. 10 bleeds into 11. The culmination is in chapter 11. But let's kick off here in chapter 10, Romans 1, or Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Remember in chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 3, brother Paul says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, which is anathema. Anathema, to be banned. And that's what Brother Paul says, I wish I could be banned, accursed from Christ. And that's a hardcore statement. But yet, Paul is saying it. You see, his own heart is long-suffering for Israel. He says, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That's why he has this continual grief in his heart. But he has a strong desire for them to be saved. And that's from chapter 9, verse 3. But if we continue on here in chapter 10, verse 1, he explains and exudes his heart even more to say, that's my heart's desire, that Israel might be saved. Now you look at chapter 11, verse 1, and Paul continues, he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not! Exclamation And that's what we're going to study next week he even says in verse 1 of chapter 11, "For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, very, very well trained in the law. And it was the Lord who revealed to him the spirit of the law and he had a choice to make. People say, oh no, no, the Lord made you know the, the, the Lord made made Paul a Christian. but remember, it is hard to kick against the goats. You say that to a Pharisee? You, you're putting him in his place. The Lord put him in his place. You know, you kick is it hard to kick against the goats? To an ox, he says. And when you read the law, he's basically saying the owner of the ox has to kill the ox. Death for the ox. You know, death for the Pastor for the teacher. Uh, 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 Ox in the Old Testament, not all the time, but a large chunk of the time. Ox is a teacher or a pastor. Remember, uh, 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 Paul refers to himself as an ox. As an ox when he gets into, you know, uh, uh, an ox is worthy of his wages. You know, and he talks about that. We're going to study that when we get into the Corinthian letters. But it's so beautiful what we see here at Paul's heart. And these themes that we have in chapter 7 through chapter 11 in the book of Romans. And what are these themes? Salvation. Salvation. And not just salvation, but hope. And it's so incredibly beautiful. And Paul's desire is that Israel, for them to believe. And the heart of God is for, you know, all to believe. But do all believe? Of course, we you know the answer is no, but does that change the nature of God? Does that change his heart? Does that mean he ceases to be long-suffering? No, we all have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make, and here in chapter 10, we're going to see the solution for these people who don't believe, not just of the camp of Israel, and it's to preach to teach, and to preach, to proclaim. But I have to say something. If you turn with me really quick to John, the book of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. And in John, chapter 6, verse 44. Our Lord says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, I have to say something a lot of Calvinists, a lot of Reformed people, they love this verse. They love this verse. No one come, can come to the Father unless, he. Uh, uh, and look, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. And that's what they say. Which is a biblical truth, but let's read on. And you know, as a little side note, this word for draw, to draw him, is to drag him. You know, I don't know if any reformed theory friend would say, oh yeah, the Lord dragged me to Jesus. But look what happens here in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So it begs the question, how does this happen? How is it that our Father in heaven draws a person? Let's read on. And I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's how this drawing happens. That's how this drawing happens, because sometimes you'll talk to Reformed theory people. You'll talk to Calvinist people. You'll talk to the mainline Presbyterians. And they'll say flat out, you know, no one can come to to Jesus unless the Father draws them, which is a biblical truth, but they put a period there. There's more to the story. How does this drawing happen? The end of verse 45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is kind of a little hardcore message for pastors too. When you teach For Bible teachers, when you teach, for uh, youth leaders, when you teach, for elders, when you teach, you better teach the Word of God, not your own word. You better teach the Word of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Hearing and learning. Now, in a church setting, say you have a church of 500 people. And you think like, wow, look, all 500 people are here today. This is cool. Praise the Lord. And yeah, that's that's nice. 500 people. Wow, you know. And everybody hears the message. Everybody hears. But does everybody learn? I tell you, you know, many people hear. But fewer learn. Many hear. Few learn. I mean, have you ever been in a church where you're sitting in a church, you know, you look all around and, you know, you some you see some people who are attentive, you know, they're listening and they're kind of, you know, writing their notes down. But then you look around, you see some people playing with their phones. You see some guys falling asleep. You see, you know, people joking around, you know, having their little side conversations. That's what I mean. Everybody can hear. But what happens when the seed goes inside the little ear channels? You know, what happens? Does it make it to the heart? Once the seed goes in an ear, you know, whoever's proclaiming, whoever's giving truth, whoever's teaching, whoever's preaching, it's out of your control. Once, those, once the truth of God's word goes out of your mouth, it's out of your control. Out of your control. So yes, it is a biblical truth that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what the Word says here in verse 44. It is a biblical truth. But how does this drawing happen? Everyone who has heard and learned. Now remember that. Remember that. Hearing and learning. Now let's go back to chapter 10 of the book of Romans. With this little backdrop of John chapter 6 because we're going to put some context to that. Not, you know, the, the you know, the word of God has more to say on that. I don't want to say like put context in the words of our Lord but in the mouth of our Lord, but you know, the entirety of the word of God, you know, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. There's more to the story. You know, remember how last week it is also written and this is why there's safety in the full counsel of the word of God, old interpreting new, new, new interpreting old, and that's when you read the Bible uh, midrashically. You know, uh, text, context and co-text always. The Bible interprets the Bible. In verse 2 of uh, Romans 10. For I bear them witness, speaking about Israel, remember his desire in verse 1 is and, and prayer to God, not just desire but also prayer. Is that Israel might be saved. He says in verse 2, For I bear them witness, I bear Israel witness, that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Whoa. Whoa. That is like, whoa, wait a second here. Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, is saying that Israel, he's acknowledging that yes, they have a zeal for the Lord, but it's not according to knowledge. And here in the Greek, this word for knowledge is to acknowledge, to recognize and to have full discernment and paul is saying they don't have that and that's the danger behind following the letter of the law because the spirit of the law leads a person to christ the letter of the law leads a person to death why because in the law is death and so paul is straight up acknowledging that yes they have a zeal for god But it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to them them acknowledging the Lord or recognizing the Lord as Lord. And they're not exercising full discernment. Now, I have to say a little protective verse for you. Because, and this protective verse is in chapter 11, verse 18. Remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. That's a protective verse. And I want you to bind that on your heart, bind that on your mind, bind that on your soul. We, you, me, we do not support the root. It's the root that supports us. Now let's go back to chapter 10. The reason why I say these little protective verses is because there's this replacement theology. We talked about it a little a little bit about it last week. Replacement uh, theology, supersessionism. All kinds of different uh, like progressive dispensationalism, all kind of, it's just a bunch of mess. And so I say these to protect you when I say uh, uh, in, in chapter 11 verse 18, to remember that it's not you or me that supports the root. It's the root that supports us, the Christian. Israel is the root. Israel. God has promises for Israel and they will come to pass. A lot of them have already come to pass. But there's more to the story. More of the promises, more of the prophecies will come to pass. And there's this anti-Semitism that is growing in the church. It's growing in the church and it's anti-Jew, anti-Semite, anti-Jew. And there's a little twist to it nowadays. What I'm seeing, it's anti-Zionism. Anti-Zionism. And all of these things are precursory notions and preparation for the Antichrist, as prophesied in Holy Scripture. Remember, it's the Jews and Christians which will be in the crosshairs. Jews and Christians. The branch and the root in the crosshairs of the Antichrist. And this is rising in the church. A lot of famous pastors, so-called pastors. I don't call them pastors. But I say pastors because they are well-known pastors. A lot of people follow them. They have their, you know, uh, they use Bible terms in these certain coalitions that they have. Very famous people. A lot of people listen to them. And they're coming up with supersessionism, replacement theology. It's all an antichrist spirit. The rise of anti-Semitism inside the church and it's going a little step further and it's going to get worse and it's anti-Zionism. It's rejection of the Bible. Rejection of the word of God. The prophecies, the promises of God. And so yes, that they have a zeal for God in verse 2. But it's not according to knowledge, not according to full discernment. In verse 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. And this word for ignorant, they being ignorant, is to have a lack of information or lack of intelligence. We talked about that a couple chapters before. Lack of information or lack of intelligence. It's much better to have a lack of information. In my opinion, I can make a strong case about it but it's much better to have lack of information. Why? Because you can get information and change. You can get information and adjust. You can gain information, get and obtain all this information. And you know what? Repent. But a lack of intelligence, that's, that's worse. That's worse in my opinion. And I can make a strong case about it because with lack of intelligence, you know, or lack of information or lack of intelligence. It's like, wait a second, sometimes there's a choice that has to be made. Willful ignorance. Willful ignorance through, in some cases, false doctrine, false teachings. And that's what we're going to look at in the entirety of chapter 9, 10, 11. We're going to talk about that as we progress further. Look what happens here in verse 3. They, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. This word for submitted is hupataso, hupataso, which we've already discussed a little bit in prior chapters, but it is to submit oneself hupataso. To submit oneself. An employee submits himself to his boss. A wife submits herself to her husband. A husband submits himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Children submit themselves to parents. But it's a choice. It's a choice. In military. You know, a lower ranking person submits himself or herself to the higher ranking. That's. That's order. Functions of certain factions within the body of Christ. And what is written here is this hupatasso, They have not submitted. They have not hupatasso, They have not submitted oneself to the righteousness of God. You know, and remember, the root supports me and you. The root supports me and you. Yes, we can develop our opinions about certain matters. We can develop our opinions about Israel. We can develop our opinions about Jews. But I would caution against that because a lot of these opinions are formulated based on feelings and emotions. Or they're based on, you know, people get into crazy town where they start denying the word of God. They get into situations where they enter anti Semitism and they start teaching, proclaiming anti Semitism and teaching and proclaiming anti Zionism, which is all in accordance to the Antichrist spirit. Just like chapter 11, verse 1 says Has God cast away his people? Certainly not! Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Certainly not, he says. So what's happening here? Why is it that we see, just like we looked at chapter 9 last week, and chapter 9 is a hardcore chapter. You know, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion in chapter 9, verse 15. And we see like, wait a second, it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, and that's in verse 13 of chapter 9. there's are hardcore verses. And when you don't understand the full counsel of the word of God, that's when it can get dangerous. That's when teachers start getting into these uh, replacement theories. And they start teaching it. And because there's a lack of Bereans in the congregation, the people start buying it. The people start accepting it as truth. When it isn't truth. Replacement theology is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a tool that Satan is using to prepare the church for destruction. He's attempting to. Remember, the last day's church is in three parts. The last day's church is false. The last day's church is apostate. Or the last day's, last day's church is refined. Pick. Where do you want your camp to be? you want to be in a false church? Do you want to be in an apostate church? Or do you want to be refined? You know, perilous times. The Bible says, you know, perilous times will come. You know, and you know, you look around, you look what's going on in the church, and you know what? Perilous times are here. And it just blows me away so much because look at what the Word says here. In verse 4, chapter 10. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You know, we went through great lengths to discuss the law. And you know, in the prior chapters about the law and the purpose of the law. And you know, even even Christians, you and me, we can use the law lawfully. Remember, the law is not made for a righteous person. 1 Timothy chapter 1. But we can still use it lawfully. How can we use it lawfully? The fear of the Lord. You know, listen to our prior studies if, if you're like, man, what's he talking about? After this, listen to our prior studies. Get yourself caught up. Start in Romans 1 and get yourself caught up to where, you, where we need to be. It, it just blows me away so much because the Word of God teaches all these things. And that's why last week, you know, if you remember when I said how the, the law, you know, it's like the law and grace. If you consider uh, the state of Washington, like the law. And then the state of California, like Grace, and you have the I-5 corridor, you know, that's the connector between the two. It's like one road. You know, consider it one way. You know, you go from Washington, the law, and then you go into Grace, Southern California. It doesn't have to be Southern California. It can be anywhere in California. But you have the five freeway. And the only way to get into California, the only way to get into Grace, is Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Now, to stay in California, you know, that requires obedience to stay in California because it's possible to be under grace and go back to the law. It's possible to be under grace, to be in California and go back to Washington. But it takes a denial of grace. You know, I, you hear me from time to time, you know, I get ex- give examples where, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm under grace. But if I start beating on my wife and cheating on my wife and doing the crack, doing the coke, doing the alcohol, you know, number one, I can never be a pastor. I have disqualified myself from pastoral leadership. But then at the same time, you know, when that happens or if that happens, I'm not under grace anymore. I am now under the law. And when I'm under the law, it's the law which is a schoolmaster, a tutor to bring me back to Grace bring me back to Jesus Christ. So, say I'm like, you know, I was in Washington. And then I go to California. And I'm in California. But I'm disobeying Jesus. And so, all of a sudden, I start to go backwards. It's like a U-turn in the wrong direction. And it's dangerous. And so, the whole time I'm going through Oregon now. And I'm going back to Washington the whole time. But the, the law... Is a tutor to say, hey, do a U-turn, get back to California. Get back to grace, get back to where you need to be. And, you know, hopefully, Lord willing, you know, my heart will just have a little bit of softness to where it's like, wow, what am I doing? I need to turn around and get back to Cali. I need to get back to under grace. Lord, forgive me, I repent. And then boom, California. But instead of SoCal, I'm like in Reading. I have to reap what I've sown. (laughs) I mean, Chico, you know, got to reap what I've sown. I can't go to SoCal. You know, but I'm in California. But then what happens if I ignore the schoolmaster? What happens if I ignore the tutor, which is trying desperately to bring me back to grace? All of a sudden, it's like, boom, my heart gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. Then you get into Romans 1 type of stuff. You See the wrath of God, which falls on individuals. You see? And that's, you know, in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes you see, everything hinges on belief, as we mentioned last week in chapter 9. Everything hinges on belief. And I'll say that again, if you look at chapter 11. In chapter 11, uh, verse um, 22. Chapter 11, verse 22. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. Everything hinges on belief. Do you believe? Do you believe? I pray yes. And if yes, okay. Let's let our uh, let's be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Not hearers only. Let's be hearers and doers of the word because belief evokes a response. What is the response? Obedience. Obedience, and we're going to touch on that today. Let's go back to chapter ten. To everyone who believes, in verse five, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. You see this uh, 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 of the law. Look what happens here. The man who does those things shall live by them. In verse 6, but the righteousness of faith. Faith. Righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Today, you know what's happening today. Today, that we have placed a lot of qualifiers based on a faulty understanding of uh, predestination. You know what we studied in in uh, 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 chapter eight, Romans chapter eight where he says in verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, chapter 8. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. We have this faulty understanding of predestination, and we base all these qualifiers on faulty understanding. You see, oh, uh, only the elect will go to heaven and God predestines people to heaven. God predestines people to hell. And people formulate these crazy doctrines. Maybe this guy's not really saved. Maybe this lady was never really a Christian. You know what the Bible says? Don't do that. Look at verse 6 and 7. Do not say in your heart. This is verse 6. The first part of verse 6. The righteousness of faith speaks this way. All these people having these disagreements. Oh yeah, God predestines people to heaven. God predestines people to hell. They formulate these theories based on faulty understanding. And the Bible says, hey, don't do that. Don't say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. And don't say in your heart who will descend to the abyss. Don't do that. You know why? Because, I mean, if you're Reformed, if you're in the mainline Presbyterianism or even Calvinism, even hardline Calvinism, where's the outreach in your fellowships? Where's evangelizing in your fellowships? A lot of times you look inside these fellowships and you know what you don't see? You don't see outreach. You don't see evangelizing. Why evangelize? If God predestines people to heaven and predestines people to hell. God made their choice for them. So what's the point of evangelizing? What's the point of outreach? You don't see a lot of that in Reformed fellowships. And I know I'm saying things that are really... If you're reformed and you're listening, you're probably mad. (laughs) And I love you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to fight. I don't want to fight. But we have to allow Scripture to teach us. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, You know what? Don't say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the the abyss, that is to to bring Christ up from the dead. And that's in verse 6, the very beginning, that's the righteousness of faith. But in verse 8, but what does it say? The right, This righteousness of faith. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And this isn't the logos. This is the rima in the Greek. The rima is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And it's an utterance is what it is. And what is this utterance? This word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. What does this look like? Well, you know, this happened already. And we studied it already. Turn with me to Acts 26. Acts 26, a little refresher course. Because what Paul is talking about here in Romans 10, we've already studied the, it's already happened. We have an example. In Acts 26, verse 24, what's happening is Paul just spoke about the resurrection. In, in verse 23, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentile. Now in verse 24, so Paul just proclaimed Jesus Christ and the res- his resurrection. In, in verse 24, now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, You are beside yourself, Paul. You're out of your mind. That's what he was saying. Paul, you're crazy. Much learning is driving you mad, he said. Man, Paul, you learned so much. Now you're in crazy town. But this is what Paul says in verse 25. I'm not mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king... For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. Since this thing was done, not was not done in a corner. It wasn't a hidden thing, Festus. So Paul is saying, Hey Festus, you know everything that happens in your kingdom. None of these things were hiding. These things were like on full display for you. Not only that, but you have all these uh, uh, people who would come to report to you. King Agrippa. Now, so Festus. So Paul went to Festus. And now, you know, Festus isn't kind of a, a little a rejecting of what Paul has to say. Paul, you're crazy. You're beside yourself. You're out of your mind. All this learning that you have. Yeah, you're a smart guy. But you know what? You've lost your mind. You're crazy town. You're wild. You've lost it. So now Paul pivots. He was talking to Festus. Now in verse 27. Hey, King Agrippa. Hey King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then King Agrippa, then Agrippa said to Paul, "You almost persuade me to become a Christian." Verse 28 is exactly what we're talking about in Romans 10. The word was near in his mouth and in his heart. And what does Agrippa say? "You almost persuade me to become a Christian." The Rima was near him. The Rima was in his mouth and in his heart. I wonder, when we're in the marriage supper, I wonder who's going to be there. I wonder if Agrippa's going to be there. There's no passage in Scripture that says anything about Agrippa's eternal decision, but verse 28 gives me hope. Yes, he was a Herod. He was of the Herodian family. A wicked family. He himself exercised wickedness. But even in the state of wickedness, he says to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. What about your state of wickedness before you came to Christ? What about your state of wickedness? Don't forget from whence you came, my friend. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Remember, he was bound. He was chained. I hope that all everybody here, you Agrippa, you Festus, everybody here, everybody in Earshot, everybody who can hear my words, I hope that all of them All of them would be exactly like me, with the exception of these chains. So what we're talking about in Romans 10, the the Rima, which was near the word, this utterance, you see how close it was in Agrippa in verse 28? That's what Paul is speaking about. Let's go back to Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it say, this righteousness of faith? The word, the Rima, is near you. Not the Logos. The Rima is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So what is this Rima? Tell me more about this Rima. Look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And to confess Jesus Christ... To confess Jesus Christ is to acknowledge him, to confess, and also to promise unto him. It's deeper than, you know, you think, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I say this as a former Catholic, you know, go to confessional. You know, which is totally religious, totally unbiblical. But when you confess to Jesus Christ, it's acknowledgement of who he is. He is Lord and he is Savior and who you are you are the clay the same way i am the clay that if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart and it's not just you know like believe it's believe but it's deeper we talked about this in chapter 4 remember the it was abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness But that word for belief is pistueo in the Greek. It's that deep and extreme trust. That's what he's talking about here. It's not just belief, you know, like uh, people people believe in whatever, you know. It's a deep trust. More than the earth that can support you standing up. More than that is your extreme trust. And faith in Jesus Christ. So do you believe? Do you believe? You know, I like to think of that question, you know, do you believe? I like to think of it as a deeper question. Will you marry me? I love it that way. When I think about it that way. Will you marry me? Because a guy goes to a girl and says, will you marry? You know, they date, you know. But a guy goes to a girl and says, "Will you marry me?" You know the girl might laugh. I just met you. You know we've only been together for two days. We've all we've this is our first date, and you're asking me to marry. No, go fly a kite. And get out of here. Go take a walk. You know. But will you marry me? Who is it that's saying that? The Son of the Most High. A person can hear that and think. Like, well, it's not just, you know, we're not just, you know, go, we're not just going for a walk. It's much deeper. This is like lifelong. It's, you're not just going to be with me on Monday. You're going to be with me f- for the, forever, forever. And you're asking me, will you marry me? That's why I like to think, you know, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I like to turn the question around and make it a little bit deeper. In Jesus Christ asking you, will you marry me? Male, female, I don't care. Because remember, in Christ, there's no male, female. You say, like, wait a second, I'm a dude. I'm a hardcore dude. I'm a tough guy. I'm, I'm, you know, that's wild, wild thinking. Well, you know what? It's also carnal thinking if that's where your mind is going. Because in chapter 7, verse 4, when you become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to Him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Spiritually speaking, marriage unto Jesus Christ. It's not just some Joe Schmo saying, you know, first date. You know, the five minutes into the first date, hey, will you marry me? No, take a walk. I just met you. You know, I don't know. What what do you want from me? No. But the Son of the Most High God? The Son of the Most High God who in Him, through Him, and by Him all things were made. You see passages of I formed you in your mother's womb? And He says, will you marry me? You see, it's much deeper. It's not, you know, people get this idea of easy believism. And I understand that, you know, it's not just like easy believism, like, you know, oh, do you believe in the tooth fairy? It's nothing like that. It's deeper. A deep, profound, and extreme trust in Jesus Christ, whom today is unseen. It requires faith. Faith is required, just like verse 6 says, the righteousness of faith. Faith. It's much deeper. It's a deeper question, will you marry me? It's a much deeper question. Much deeper implications. Much deeper, and a much deeper commitment. Much deeper commitment. Have you ever seen people say, oh yeah, you know, I'll get married, yeah, let's go to Vegas, I'll get married, and then, you know, they're divorced a week later. No, it's to fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love every day, day by day, day by day, deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Him, with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How beautiful this is. But then I have to ask the question of the church. What have we done? As a church, what in the world have we done? Through faulty understanding of uh, predestination, through a faulty uh, understanding of what we studied last week, where, you know, in in chapter 9, where, you know, Jacob, in chapter 9, verse 13, as it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people. You know, they tell me about uh, uh, predestination, which is a biblical truth, but, you know, there's a biblical understanding behind that, which we studied in chapter 8. Oh, God predestined these people to hell. They can't make the choice for themselves. There's no hope for them. God predestined them to hell. Just like it is written here, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau I have hated. It's like, wait a second, my friend. Have you not read Hebrews 12, verse 16? Do you not know that Esau was a godless fornicator? Remember, God is response. He reactionary. Esau made his choice. And God responded. Just like Pharaoh made his choice. And God responded. You say, wait a second, God hardened his heart. Yeah, it's true. God hardened his heart. It's a form of judgment. But look at all the times that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Even when the Lord pleaded with him, how long until you refuse to humble yourself, Pharaoh? We talked about that last week in our study in chapter 9. Oh, but wait a second. The Bible says I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. A biblical truth, yes. But it is also written that God has mercy on those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 20, verse 6. You see? The full counsel of the word of God. Let's go back to Romans 10. And in Romans 10, we see this. In verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes, this is the pisteo word in the Greek, which is this deep, profound, and extreme trust. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And this word pisteo in the Greek, which is a hardcore belief, profound, profound faith and belief, is the exact same word that was used for Abraham. Abraham. Remember when Abraham was in the desert? He looks up at the night sky and the Lord tells him, he he's, he's, has a barren wife and he has no children. And the Lord tells him, Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars, more than the stars. And Abraham believed. And it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. He's an old man. He has an old wife. She's barren, no kids and Abraham believed. Wow. That's what I love so much about these passages Old Testament and New Testament. Because despite your situation, sometimes in spite of your situation, who cares about your situation? I mean, I care about it. But don't let your situation dictate the level of faith you have in the Lord. Remember when. Uh, Israel they come to the ocean, you know Moses they come to the ocean and Somebody yells out. Hey, the Egyptians are coming. The chariots are here Moses goes to pray and the Lord was like Moses. Why are you praying? I told you to go forth I meant think about that carnally You're at the ocean I mean dry, you're on dry ground and you take ten steps forward and you're wet you're in the ocean And the Lord says Moses I told you to go, I told you to go this direction. Why are you praying to me, Moses? Carnally? Who can accept that? But with eyes of faith and with ears of faith? You know, despite your situation, in spite of your situation, you go forth in Christ. You see? And you have passages like that all through Holy Scripture, the entirety of Scripture. You have these amazing, amazing passages where you have this terrible, terrible situation. And sometimes I wonder, like, wow, Lord, are are, are you allowing this to happen just so you can teach us about these things? Just so you can teach a future generation or the current generation about faith? Is that why this is happening, Lord? Paul says these things were written for our admonition. But if they're written for our admonition, which is true, can we not also turn the token on the other side and let it teach us about encouragement? Let the passage encourage us in our faith, in our walk, in our journey? You see? Let's continue. In verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. It's a, that's a biggie. That's a biggie for anybody who's kind of diving into replacement theology. That's a biggie who's entering into anti-Semitism and anti, anti-Jew anti or anti-Zionism. Because this is all done in the spirit of the Antichrist, who seduces Seduces Christians, attempts to seduce Christians, and sometimes he wins. But not with the remnant. We have to fight, you see. In verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. These are the qualifiers right here. All who call upon him. All who call upon Him. And what does this calling upon Him look like? Verse 9, it says, if you, with your mouth that the, that, uh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's why I ask the question, What have we done as Christians? What in the world have we done? Why is it that all these crazy doctrines have entered the church? Oh, God predestines people to hell. Oh, yeah, that guy's wicked. He's predestined to hell. That guy, he was never a Christian. He's going to hell. He's predestined to hell. Verse 7 says, don't do that. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? Verse 7, who will descend into the abyss? Don't do that. You know why? Because it puts a strain on hope. That's why. It puts a strain on faith, which faith is the substance of things hoped for. Have you ever talked to a wicked person before? And yes, they're wicked. Maybe it's somebody close to you. Maybe it's somebody you love. Maybe it's a neighbor, a friend. Who has made an error in judgment. Maybe even fallen. Maybe even under the law. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, oh, you know what? Maybe that guy was never a Christian. Maybe he was never a Christian. And so you know what? He's predestined to hell. Just as my pastor says in chapter 8 teaches, Romans 8. Just as my pastor says chapter 9, Romans 9. I don't care about what these so-called pastors say. These are the same pastors who say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You talk about Antichrist spirit? You talk about in the service of Satan? Telling Christians that it's okay to take the mark of the beast? Let such a person be anathema from Christ. An enemy of the cross. To tell God's people, it's okay, you can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. That is... Not just false doctrine, dangerous doctrine. Such doctrine ought to be fought against. But you know what's happening? What's happening is such doctrine, such teachers are being lauded by Christians. It's the last days. Another sign. Another sign of the last days. We see here in verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. In verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How beautiful this is. To say otherwise, all this guy is predestined to hell, I'm not going to outreach. This lady, she's predestined to hell. She's preordained into hell. For the glory of God. You see how crazy this doctrine is? What does that do to your own faith? What does that do for your level of hope and your level of faith? Because remember, faith can grow. Faith can grow. And get stronger and stronger and stronger. Or it can get weaker and weaker and weaker. Oh, this guy's predestined to hell. This lady's predestined to hell. Oh, this guy, he was never a Christian. This lady, maybe she was never a Christian. You know what I love about casualty reports? I mean, if anybody served in the military, you see casualty reports? I mean, I don't like KIA. You know, those are killed in action. I don't like that. But wounded in action... Missing in action. I don't like them, but I don't. I really don't like Kia. You see the casualty report. Oh, you know nothing to report, sir. Okay, good to go. Zero casualties. You know, sit rep. Give a casualty report. Got you know, wounded in action. What's the wound? You know, oh, you know, whatever wound it is, a cut, a hole. Or whatever, you know, a week later, you know, back in back in the fight. And there's beauty behind casualty reports. And I always hearken to these thoughts that I have with regard to casualty reports in our walk with Christ. Because yes, a brother might be in a state of fallenness. Yes, a sister might be in a state of fallenness. And rather say, oh, they were never Christians. What does Paul say? You who are non-carnal, restore a brother. You who are non-carnal, restore a sister. But no, because of these crazy doctrines, oh, that person's predestined to hell. What does that do to hope inside the church? Of people who are supposed to be hopeful. What does that do to faith? inside the church, uh, people who are to remain faithful. So verse 13 remains, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14 begs the question, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So here you have the, 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 uh, uh, the acknowledgement of a non-believer, the acknowledgement of a wicked people. Wait a second, Paul. These are people who have not believed. How do you expect them to call on the name of Jesus Christ? They don't even believe. How do you expect them to call on the name of Jesus? They're non-believers. They're wicked. They're predestined to hell, air quotes. This guy, he came and sat in the pews, but he was never really a Christian. Paul, how can they call on the name of Jesus Christ? And in the Spirit of the Lord, let us reason together. Paul continues. And how should they believe in Him of whom, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This word for preacher is to be a public crier, to herald and proclaim and publish divine truth truth you see how shall they hear without a preacher that's why whenever I see problems arise in the church the biggest beef that I have is not with the pew Christians it's with the pulpit Christians the pastors the elders Why do you teach that it's okay for this to happen? Why do you teach that it's okay for this to happen inside your fellowship? Which You're just a steward. These are God's people. It's God's flock. You're just a steward. It's not your flock. You teach that this is okay. Why do you not teach against it? Oh, we're supposed to love. You know, God is love. We're supposed to love people. Yeah, it's a biblical truth. We're supposed to love people. Secondarily, to loving God with all our heart mind and soul not first it's not people first it's not the preeminence of people it's the preeminence of Jesus Christ when you're a, if, when you have you see pastors who have people as preeminent run that's dangerous people are as as preeminent to a pastor or as preeminent to an elder That's not good because Jesus Christ is preeminent above anyone. I don't care who he is. I don't care who she is. I don't care who they are. Jesus Christ is number one. You make a choice. You make a choice. Yes, love people. But for these preachers, as is written in verse 14, how shall they hear without a preacher? It's not just a public crier, period. It's not just a heralder, period. Or a, uh, someone who proclaims and publishes whatever. It is divine truth. The truth of God's holy word. Jesus Christ has to be preeminent. You have to love God. Above all things, above all people, you have to love God. Because what's going to happen when, if you love people more than God? People are going to get away with murder. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. And the pastor is going to be held to account. See? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You see? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You know what that tells me? The onus is on you and me, the Christian, the church. Thus fulfills what Jesus Christ even says. That when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. You look at culture today and what do you see? Is being trampled underfoot by men. Why? A saltless church, a flavorless church, a social club. Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's a heavy indictment. What are you talking about? Let's go to John chapter six again, and I'll read it again. In verse forty-four, John six forty-four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No period. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. You see? You say, wait a second, they're supposed to be learning from the Father, not from man. Well, who's doing the will of the Father? Who is doing the will of our Father? Let me turn somewhere really quick. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see? Oh, but we're supposed to learn from the Father. We're supposed to, uh, you know, as, 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 as John 6, 45 says, therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father. But you know what? Who are those who are doing the will of our Father? A guy or a gal sitting in the pews. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, You know what? I'm directing you. I'm leading you to teach the Bible. The will of the Father. A guy or a gal sitting in the pews. Oh, you know what? I'm leading you to go and lead worship. I want you to go serve in tables. I want you to speak to this person. I want you to speak to this couple. The will of the Father. Look at the vessels in the Old Testament that the Lord uses. Leviticus, Numbers. Look at the vessels that He uses. Look at the Levitical priesthood. And not just the Levitical priesthood. Remember, Obadah, Obadah. Bondservant, servant bond servant bond servant bond servant bond servant we talked about that just on wednesday oh but service in the shepherd's house in the old testament as a shadow of the things to come look at the vessels inside the temple what about the vessels in the house of the lord today You see how beautiful the Word of God teaches us all these things? Let's go back to Romans. Romans chapter 10. So it begs the question, verse 14, how should they call on him who they, who, whom they have not believed? Oh, they're non-believers. They're predestined to hell. That guy, he was never a Christian. She was never a Christian. What? Oh yeah, he's he's predestined to hell. The Bible says, verse 6 and 7, don't do that. Be hopeful for these people. God is long-suffering, not willing that they should perish. Why aren't you long-suffering that they should perish? That they should not perish? Where's your long-suffering? You see? And How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach unless they are sent? You know what that shows me? The onus is on us. You and me. We're supposed to be fishers, fishermen, fisherwomen, redeeming the times. Yes, there's all kinds of different ministries, but be the salt, be the light. Don't let the light go out. Don't let salt lose its flavor. I know lights are going out like crazy. I know salt is losing its flavor like crazy. But I'm speaking to you. Make sure you have plenty of oil in your lamps and for your lamps. Because the days are going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Oh, but why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? I hear the argument all the time. And you know, what's kind of, it bugs me a little bit. Because I only hear it from Americans. I only hear it from certain Europeans. Why would God allow us to suffer? We're His bride. He loves us. Why would He allow us to suffer? Look what's happening in China, in Russia, Vietnam, Uganda, Nairobi, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Look what's happening. Why would God allow us to suffer? They brutalized a pastor's family raped all his family, cut off his arms. And he still would not deny Jesus Christ, and they killed him. Oh, but why would God allow us to suffer? What in the world? What has become of us? verse 15, How shall they preach unless they are sent? This word for sent is... A pastello it has two parts. First part is to be set apart. Part two is to be sent away, you see. <laughs> Just like Moses. Set apart. He came out of Egypt, the Lord cleaned him up, and then the Lord sent him back. Just like he does with people today. All these people in the Bible, people today. A great cloud of witnesses. The Lord will pick you up. And be like, oh, I gotta clean up my life. I gotta clean my life and then I'll become a Christian. No, you know, I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you're a prostitute, alcoholic, drug head, you know, crackhead. I could care less. Do you believe? And I'm not talking like fairy tale, like, you know, tooth fairy type stuff. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Pisteo. A deep and extreme trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe you learn to trust in the Lord by your own error. You know why? Because that's the exact same thing that happened to me. Oh, I got this. What do I need Jesus Christ for? I got this. What do I need Jesus for? I can handle this. I can hack it. you know what? I couldn't. The Lord used my own pride to show me my need for him. And maybe he's doing the same with you. So I ask the question again, do you believe? And if the answer is yes, Just like it is written here in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You need to repent, my friend. You need to repent. And be born again. Because God loves you. And he wants to clean you up. He wants to clean up your life. He wants to clean up your marriage. He wants to clean up your family. He wants to clean up your home. But he's a gentleman. He's not going to, you know, the Bible says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if you will hear me, I will come in and sup with you. He doesn't say, hey, you know, I'm pulling in your driveway. I'm going to kick your door down. And I'm going to raid your fridge. And I'm going to eat all your leftovers. He doesn't say that. He says, I stand at the door. And if you hear me, I will come in and sup with you. Do you hear him? This apostello, uh, uh, how shall they preach unless they are sent? There's the two parts. Apostello, first part is to be set apart. You say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe already. Okay, set apart. Still be set apart. You are consecrated unto the Lord. Praise be to his name. And in his timing. You know what? You've been coming to church. You've been reading the Bible. You've been on, I've seen you, you've been in your prayers and doing all I've answered your prayers. And you prayed even more. Your faith is strong. And you know what? Now I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna use you in whatever capacity. This capacity. You know what that is? The will of the Father. Just as is written what we looked at in Matthew 7. And then, you know, because you're a vessel of the Father, then it harkens back to John chapter 6, verse 45. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. You're a vessel, not full of self. That's old wineskin that's full of self. New wineskin is dead to self. And new wineskin is full of heavenly wine. Jesus Christ new wine in new wine skin and then the outpouring that's here verse 45 John 6:45 everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me Paul Peter James all of them doing the will of the father you see so people always say all the time, John 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, a biblical truth, biblical truth. I agree. But how does this happen, my friend? You see? Where are the vessels? Let's go back to Romans 10. And in Romans 10 here in verse 15, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, preach. Remember, a public crier to herald and proclaim and publish divine truth. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Glad tidings here in the Greek, evangelize. Evangelize, just like Brother Philip. Remember Philip? Beautiful, beautiful Philip. And the Lord used him, the will of the Father. You see? A vessel of the Father. Because he was an empty vessel. He was new wineskin full of new wine. Brother Philip. He was teaching other people and the people were learning from the Father. You could say, yes, from Philip. Philip was just a cup. But people were learning from the Father. Because Philip was an empty vessel. Not full of himself. Empty vessel. He was new wineskin, full of new wine, and the new wine poured out from him in the capacity of the will of the Father, which was an evangelist. Just like Paul, in the capacity of a teacher, in the capacity of an evangelist, in the capacity of a teacher. Just like Titus, just like uh, Timothy, in the capacity of pastors. Stephen, in the capacity of serving in tables. Philip's daughters, in the capacity of prophetesses. Prophetess, I don't know, prophetess plural, prophetesses. You see? All these beautiful people, so great, a cloud of witnesses, all in service unto the Lord. But in the will of the Father. Let's continue. It says, who bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful this is. But you know what? I have to say something else. And this is going to be kind of hard hitting. But look at what Satan has done. Not outside the church. That's the world. I expect Satan to do that in the world. Look at what Satan has done inside the church. Look at what he has done inside the church. Rather than understand these truths, rather than to be hopeful for the lost, rather than be hopeful for somebody who has fallen... What is the answer? Oh, they're a non-believer. He's wicked. He's predestined to hell. She was never really a Christian. When the Bible explicitly says, don't do that. Verse 6 and 7. Instead of a church being full of beautiful feet, Instead of a church being full of preachers and people who are being sent, the apostello, people who are being set apart, and in part two, sent away as messengers. Those who bring glad tidings of good things. What do you have? A church who sits in the pews and hears, Oh, we're of the elect, we're of the elect, we're of the elect, we're special, we're special, we're special, and like robots, they're being programmed. Oh yeah, we're special, we're of the elect. And the pastor says, oh, you know what? You can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. And then the people listen. Yes, we can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Spirit of Antichrist. Look at what Satan has done. Behold the last day's church. Oh, but wait a second. You're talking about easy believism. You know what? I absolutely am talking about easy believism. But not the easy believism. You might might think it's not fairy, like uh, tooth fairy kind of stuff. Not tooth fairy at all. Remember, verse 9. If you confess, it's to acknowledge, confess, and promise. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, which is pisteo, which is that extreme trust and deep If you believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. Remember, it's not just like, do you believe? I mean, I can say it like that. But if I were to go a step further, will you marry me? You see, marriage unto Jesus Christ. Marriage. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. Will you marry Jesus Christ? Son of the Most High God, because He loves you. That's what He desires oneness with you, intimacy with you. I want to say, intimacy, sometimes people, mostly men, they start thinking craziness. If that's you, repent. I'm not even going there. I'm talking about intimacy, oneness, closeness. You see? What has happened to the church? That's easy believism. That's easy believism. That's dangerous. You know what? Why would God make it hard? Why would God make it hard? When it's easy. Super easy. Repent. Repent and believe. Confess. Confess. Make a promise, a commitment to Him. You call it easy believism. But who would take a baby and say, Hey, climb Mount Everest? Who does that? You know, a kid now, Oh, I, I think I want to become a Christian. Okay, here, memorize these lines. Okay, was it two lines, three lines? No, 50 pages. What? Yeah, it's the catechism. What and you read the catechism unbiblical false doctrine in the catechism You see Oh it's easy believism easy believism, easy believism well my perspective instead of looking at the gate Look inside the camp. You look at the gate. Look inside the camp. Why would you make a baby climb Mount Everest? No, in order to climb Mount Everest, you need strong legs. You need strong backs. Strong arms. That's what's required to climb Mount Everest. Why would you take a baby and say, hey, climb the top of the mountain? Why? Oh, memorize this catechism. Why? So that we can know you're a Christian and we can know who we're going to commit to our church membership. What?
1: Where is that in the
0: Bible? What are you talking about? Oh, pastor. Oh, elder. What in the world are you talking about? Look at verse 16. You call it easy believism? I don't. In verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Bingo! You point to easy believism. I point to obedience. So does Paul. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And this word for obey is hupakuo. Hupakuo in the Greek, which is to listen attentively, to subordinate self, and to conform to an authority. Now, does that ring a bell? To conform to an authority? This hupakuo in the Greek? But they have not all obeyed. They have not all hupakuo. They have not all conformed to an authority. Does that sound familiar? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You see? Wow. Wow. Remember, chapter 7 through chapter 11 is a theme. You might have heard me say that before last week. What are you talking about a theme? Because we're looking at verse 16, and we're hearkening back to chapter 8. Behold the theme. You look at chapter 9. Oh, wow, cool, let's establish these doctrines. No, it's a theme. And it all hinges on belief. Just like we read in chapter 11, verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Well, wait a second. How can they go from unbelief and to belief again? We studied that already. Verse 14 and 15. How shall they hear without a preacher? And not a preacher of jokes. Not a preacher of false doctrines. Not a preacher of New York Times bestseller stuff. A preacher of truth. The good news. In the will of the Father. In so doing, you know what happens? Thus fulfills John 44, John John 6. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, a lot of Reformed theory people, they just say, you see, God does the word. God does it. God makes you a Christian. You can Because God made you become a Christian. God made you come to Christ. But how does this happen? Verse 45, therefore, everyone who has heard and learned. How does hearing come? How does learning come? Through the vessels that the Lord uses. Where are the vessels? Oh, they've turned off their light. Oh, they've lost their oil. Oh, they've lost their flavor. Does any of that ring a bell? The onus is on the church. You see? Christians. Christians. We have lost our flavor. We have become flavorless salt. And look what's happening in culture. Trampled underfoot by men. And you know what? It's going to get worse and worse and worse in the last days. Because these things must happen. Remember, the church is in three camps in the last days. Camp number one, false. Camp number two, apostate. Camp number three, true and refined. Pick your camp, my friend. Pick your camp. And so we re- we read on in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Wow, beautiful Isaiah. Beautiful, beautiful Isaiah. I wonder if he was lonely. I wonder if he had no friends. I wonder if people made fun of him too. You see? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rima, not logos, the rima of God. Remember? John chapter 6, verse 45 Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It's the Christian. The vessel that the Lord uses, that He desires to use, that He wants to use. You hear me from time to time make the distinction between the pulpit Christian and the pew Christian. And I don't do that to say like, hey, you know, there's anything special behind that. You know, but... I do say it so we can make the distinction because shepherds can become wolves and shepherds today have become wolves and you know what they get away with it because what's going on in the pews where are the Bereans in the pews where are the co-pastors Who should be Bereans? Where are the elders who should be Bereans? And when those walls break, where are the Christians, the pew Christians who should be Bereans? Hey, pastor, that's wrong. Hey, elder, that's wrong. You see? Pastors who do sexual things with God's people They call themselves pastors. I don't call them pastors. I call them wolves. People in the congregation who go to an elder. Hey, you know, there's something wrong. This isn't right. And the elder wants to save face. The pastors want to save face. Instead of honoring the Lord. Behold the last days. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God when you evangelize use the Rima and the logos the two-edged sword sharp 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 two-edged sword and remember it's the power of God unto salvation the power of God unto salvation what do you mean the power that was for 2,000 years ago what that's another teaching that's growing in the church Another weed that is growing in the church. All the the power of the Holy Spirit that was for 2,000 years ago. You know who says such thing? The powerless. Those who deny the power of God, they have none. They have religion, no power. They have flashlights, they have light bulbs, no batteries. They have lamps, there might be a flame. But a little bit of oil. Not enough for when it gets dark, really dark. Not enough. And their folly will be exposed even more, unless they repent. You say, wait a second. What are you talking about? The last days. What are you talking? About the last days. We're we we're, we're in Romans ten. What are you talking about? The last days. Well. Uh, turn with me to Second Timothy, chapter 3. And here in Second Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1. But know this. This is Pastor Paul writing a letter to Pastor Timothy. Pastor Timothy, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Last days. Perilous times will come. What does that look like, Paul? Verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, holy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Very interesting. Very interesting. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. You know, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit like there was in the book of Acts. That was for another dispensation. That's not for today. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away, exclamation point. Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. Turn away. For of this sort, Are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women. Translates as foolish women. Loaded down with sins. Led away by various lusts. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Very interesting. Always learning. Hey, have you read the New York Times bestseller? Oh, it's number one Christian book. Number one, oh, this guy. Oh, yeah, this pastor over here. Oh, yes, this organization. Oh, yes, this coalition. Look, read this. Read this. This is awesome. I read this. Look how smart I am. What? You just read the Bible? You're so stupid. You're so dumb. You're not smart. The Word of God testifies. Their witness testifies. And so does yours. Verse 7. Always learning. And never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Remember, the preacher is the proclaimer of truth. So do these always resist? The, also resist the truth? Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith or rejected concerning the faith. See, faith, the substance of things hoped for. Why would a person have hope for a soul if under their doctrine it says that a person is predestined to hell? Because of their false doctrine, they say, oh, he was never a Christian. She was never a Christian. Concerning the faith, rejected. Concerning the faith, disapproved. But remember, God is reactionary. What have they done concerning the faith? And because they've made their decision, what has God done? It is written, verse 8, Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. You see? They'll be exposed. All of it. And as things get darker and darker and darker in culture, you know what you're seeing? The rise of carnality and the decline of the faithful. Behold the remnant. Verse ten. But you, Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. But you, young Timothy. But you. You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What these are things that we studied. Remember the Book of Acts. All the things we studied. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Oh, why would God allow us to suffer? An American Christian, say that to a Ugandan Christian who's lost his family all his daughters they made him watch his daughters be raped they made them watch his sons be have their arms chopped off and then their legs and then their heads and then they let this guy live so that he can go and tell christians you in america you in europe you tell that person in uganda Why would God allow us to suffer? Verse 12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to get worse, it's going to get darker. Where are the warriors? Will the warriors please stand? But you, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's go back to Romans. Here in Romans 10, verse 18, in closing, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. This is a foolish tribe. It's the Gentiles. The Gentiles. So, if you ever feel like you want to get on your high horse, you know, uh, you read the Bible and the Lord will knock you off that high horse. A foolish nation, a foolish tribe, foolish Gentiles. Praise be to the Lord because He keeps us humble. He keeps me humble, He keeps you humble. By His word, you see? Safety in the word. In verse 20 but isaiah is very bold and says i was found by those who did not seek me i was made manifest to uh, to those who did not ask for me this is a gentile tribe but to israel he says all day long i have stretched out my hands to a disobedient translates as it's not just disobedient because the word in the greek is deeper it's disobedient, but it's worse. It's by disobedience, unbelieving. You remember our study in chapter uh, 8 about walking according to the flesh and according to the spirit? And when you walk according to the flesh, you're, you're every time you walk according to the flesh, you make these decisions. I'm going to turn left. Left is the flesh. Right is the spirit. I'm going to turn left here, turn left here, turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left. left. You keep doing that. You know what's going to happen? Your heart is going to go from soft to hard. It's not good. Because as this word translates in in Romans 10, verse 21, it's disobedience. But it's deeper because it's by disobedience becoming unbelieving. The same thing happened with Judas. Who fell by transgression. Read Romans 1 or Acts 1. Transgression. All the left turns with Judas. The treasurer. Very interesting. He says, all day long, I have have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And this contrary, it's not just disobedience, but this contrary, it's a refusal of obedience. When this comes to the church, it's happened. In verse 21, he says, But to Israel, he says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's to Israel. This is Old Testament reference. What Paul is referencing. When this comes to the church, The last days are near. And I tell you the truth, it has already entered the church. You and me, the remnant, the faithful, we look up and we await the return of the King. God bless you guys. Love you guys. And next week, we'll pick up in chapter 11 and finish, come to the conclusion of this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful theme where everything hinges on belief.